I want to give you a brief overview of a topic which is perhaps less controversial within the church as it once was, and certainly not controversial at all in wider society. But still a topic that warrants our attention, and that's the subject of divorce and remarriage. In my own experience as the leader of a church, I've had a few couples come to me for marriage because they will refuse marriage at another church because one or both of the partners have been married before. In fact, the Church of England, the official state church, didn't allow divorced people to get remarried in their churches till 2002. And since that time, the stigma surrounding divorce and remarriage has pretty much disappeared, particularly as the church has lost much of its influence over society. Perhaps the church has been guilty of blindly going along with this change without giving it a lot of due care and attention. I've certainly been guilty of this. So what does the Bible say? Well, I'm not going to give you an exhaustive deep dive into the biblical text, but we will start by looking at the words of Jesus on this topic and go from there. So let's read from Matthew's account of Jesus' life and ministry, called the Gospel of Matthew, where he records Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where much of Jesus' controversial teaching is contained. Let's look together at Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 to 32. These are the words of Jesus. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, before we go any further, we need to realise that, that the divorce that Jesus is talking about here is not the same as the divorce we now have in our legal system, where at the instigation of either partner, two equals come together in an agreement to end a marriage with numerous legal protections to ensure a fair split of assets. No, in the patriarchal society that Jesus lived in, well, women, they had no rights and were completely dependent on their husband for their livelihoods. Therefore, if they were divorced on the decision of the husband, they would not only be shamed, but also made destitute they would slide into poverty where there was no welfare system to ensure that they were able to survive. So what we have here is far more than just a moral issue, it's a justice issue as well. So with that in mind, let's look at some other words of Jesus recorded later in Matthew, which I think we will find helpful. Let's look at Matthew chapter 19 verses 3 to 9. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, 
commits adultery. So these passages make it pretty clear that divorce was as much an issue in Jesus' time as it is now. Unfortunately, marriages fail for numerous reasons. But I guess Jesus was being asked if there was any reason where divorce was okay. Now this was picking up on a passage in the Old Testament attributed to Moses that seemed to indicate that divorce was a possibility if the woman becomes displeasing to her husband because he finds something indecent about her. It was that question around the word indecent that was causing some debate. Now there were two schools of thought around at that time in what was a very religious Jewish context. One school, the school of Hillel, probably the most popular one, felt that a man, not a woman, could divorce for pretty much any reason. Maybe it had been a bad day at the office, or the wife had burnt the toast. Whilst another school, Shammai, felt that divorce was only permissible if unfaithfulness was involved. So how does Jesus respond to this question? Well, in Matthew 19, we find that Jesus goes straight to first principles. That God has created marriage where a man and a woman become an exclusive unit, joined permanently, both spiritually and physically. Therefore, divorce is a man-made attempt to separate that which God has joined together. Jesus starts with the divine principle of marriage, the ideal will of God being that once married, always married. And yet Jesus and Moses recognise the unfortunate reality of the world that we live in, that humanity has failed to live up to their creator's ideal. Relationships do break down, marriages do fail, divorces do happen. So biblically there are certain concessions made with regards to marriage where divorce is allowed. As you can see from the two passages we have just read, the only concession that Jesus makes is where infidelity is involved. One or both of the partners are involved in adultery or sexual immorality. The sexual union is broken because it's been given to someone else. In fact, Jesus states quite clearly that if someone was to marry a person who had been divorced for any other reason, they would be committing adultery. So no wonder the church has been so reticent to marry divorced people. The other concession is found in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, where he tells them that if an unbelieving spouse leaves them because they're a follower of Jesus, then let them go. Now we are faced with a pastoral issue here, because what if the marriage is full of abuse but no adultery? A friend of mine attended a conservative church on the continent where he noticed that one particular lady attended every week covered in bruises. It turned out that her husband was physically abusing her. Now the church minister knew this but counselled that the woman remain with her husband because no infidelity was involved. So how do we respond to this? There seems to be no biblical concession for this situation, though I have seen legal arguments that take a convoluted route through the biblical rules to find an answer. But this is perhaps where it is useful to understand the context of divorce at the time and what Jesus was actually saying. You see, he was responding to men who would use their power as men to abuse women, 
for their own gratification, discarding them with no consideration for their well-being. Jesus' words were meant as a limit on abusive men, not as a reason to keep women in bondage, quite the opposite. And if the church allows abuse of this kind to continue, using the Bible as an excuse, then they are perpetuating the same sin that Jesus was speaking against so powerfully in all his teaching and ministry. We are putting following rules above the welfare, safety and well-being of a vulnerable individual. And that is totally wrong. But what about marriages where there is no abuse, no infidelity, and yet they have failed for numerous reasons? As a church, do we insist a couple stay together? Do we refuse to marry those who have been divorced? Well, in order to answer this well, I think it's necessary to take a step back from this specific subject and look at the problem of sin generally. Because divorce is just one part of a patchwork quilt of sin that covers humanity, stifling its ability to live up to God's ideal design. So how does God deal with this sin? Well, he forgives us. He covers over it. He puts it out of sight. It's a bit like when I ask my daughter to tidy her room and she hides all of her rubbish under the duvet. He doesn't hold it against us. There is no charge or punishment. He removes it from us. He washes away our guilt. He puts it behind him so we can't see it. He sweeps it away. He remembers it no more. He casts it into the depths of the sea. He nails it to the cross. Because of God's love, grace and forgiveness, shown to us by Jesus' death on the cross, sealed in his blood. Our sins no longer define us. They no longer entangle us. They no longer hold us back. Our past need no longer be a barrier to our future. Our God wipes the slate clean again and again and again. He's the God of infinite second chances. That is the power of the cross. I love the story about Jesus found in John's account where the teachers of the law bring in a woman caught in adultery. Notice the man involved isn't in sight. And they force her to stand before the group and they tell everyone listening that the law of Moses demands that she be stoned to death for her sin. And then they ask Jesus, well, what does he think? And I love how Jesus responds, because he just doodles in the dirt. And they continue to question him. And Jesus continues to doodle until he looks up and tells them, let any one of you who was without sin be the first to throw a stone at her before continuing with his doodling. One by one, the woman's accusers go away, unable to pick up a stone because they recognize their own sinfulness. Jesus then looks at the woman, asking her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. God does not condemn you for your bad choices or your failings, past, present or future. Instead, he wants to free you so you might live a better and fuller life, free from the mess of the past. With that in mind, divorce is no different to any other sin. It's far from God's ideal and it's not part of his original plan 
but God loves us, is gracious towards us, despite our numerous and never-ending failings. Now, I hear you say, does that mean I can do whatever I like? Certainly not, says Paul in Romans chapter 6. In Christ we are born into a new life. Sin is no longer our master because we are no longer under laws and rules and regulations, but under God's grace. Yeah, sure, we'll continue to mess up. But let's ask God's Holy Spirit to come and fill us, transform us from the inside out and help us to live better. So as we come to the end of this video, what are the takeaways? Well, number one, marriage is a gift from God. It's a union between a man and a woman that is far more than just a legal transaction. It's a physical and spiritual joining meant to last for life. Two. Marriage isn't something that should be entered into lightly or flippantly. In response to Jesus' answer to the Pharisees that we read in Matthew 19, his disciples replied, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. See, they recognise that marriage well, is a big thing. It's hard. It's difficult. It requires sacrifice. And yet that's not how society necessarily sees it. Attempts are being made to make divorce easier. And TV programs like Married at First Sight make a mockery of marriage and make it a fairly meaningless institution. But let's also realise that biblical marriage is in fact defined not by a ceremony or a legal certificate, but by sexual union. Therefore, anyone you are having sex with, you are united with spiritually and physically. Now, there are all sorts of issues and consequences to promiscuity. But even if you are living with someone in an exclusive relationship, you are effectively married to them. Without all the legal baggage, but also without the security, responsibilities and commitments that is necessary to make a marriage truly flourish. Number three. Perhaps as a church, we have concerned ourselves too much in picking up the pieces of a broken marriage rather than counselling couples both before and during marriage to reduce the chances of their relationship breaking down. See, all married couples need help and an opportunity to be open and honest whether their marriage is failing or not. But unfortunately, often by the time the church gets involved, it's already too late. Number four, before considering marrying divorcees, the church needs to have a frank and open discussion with the couple, asking them questions about their previous marriage or marriages, the hurts they might feel, their hopes for the future, and if there are any lessons they've learned from the past. And the church must feel able to say no if they feel that the new marriage isn't being entered into in the right way. And number five, divorce is not an unforgivable sin. God treats it the same as any other sin. He hides it away, he forgets it, he forgives us and allows us to move forward without it entangling us or tripping us up. So if you're looking at marriage, don't rush into it. It's permanent, difficult and hugely important. If you are married, then seek help and advice. Don't wait till it's too late. If your marriage is failing, do everything you can to keep it together.
If you are divorced, don't feel you have to marry again, as tempting as it might be. And if you are planning to remarry or have remarried, ensure that you have forgiven as well as received forgiveness and that you've had a frank and open conversation about the past and how you plan to not make those mistakes in the future.